0: I'm Jonathan Platt, and you're listening to Direct Line Conversations, the podcast. Nobody makes it to the top alone. Now, you don't even have to try. Your journey to a life filled with purpose and leadership fueled by confidence begins right now. This week, my guest is 2021 Hall of Fame Abner V. McCall Religious Liberty Honoree, Amanda Tyler. Amanda is the executive director of Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C. She leads the organization as it upholds the historic Baptist principle of religious liberty, defending the free exercise of religion, and protecting against its establishment by government. Amanda grew up in Austin and graduated from Georgetown University and then the University of Texas School of Law. Thanks for joining me to hear Amanda's story and celebrate her together as the Baylor family. Here's my interview. With Amanda Tyler. Amanda, I've I've gotten to uh, meet you before, and I've heard from several people, you know, about your story uh, and about the the legacy of success that you've left behind as you've um, risen. And uh, I'm just wondering if you could share your life story with people who may not know you or may not know the the full story. If you could just give us your um, your 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 story from from college to now, and tell us about your successes and your family and the things that you're most proud to have accomplished.
1: Yeah, well, I'll I'll start um, back. I, I'm a native Texan, native Austinite, and so grew up there in a Baptist church, and um, really nurtured in that Texas environment. I left Texas to go to Georgetown University for undergrad, where I studied at the School of Foreign Service and really was drawn to Georgetown and to Washington because of my love of politics and government and thinking at the time, not sure exactly what I do, probably law school, um, but thinking that government service or, or public service might be part of my future And it was when I was at Georgetown that I first connected with Baptist Joint Committee. At that point, it was Baptist Joint Committee on Public Affairs. It was led by James Dunn. And one of my mentors from my home church in Austin, Highland Park Baptist Church, had been on the staff of BJC when he was in the 60s, um, one of his early jobs. So he introduced me to the people at BJC. And I thought, wow, this seems like an incredible organization. They are devoted to the separation of church and state from the Baptist perspective. They're located on Capitol Hill. And so I said, oh, I'd love to volunteer sometime. Uh, I ended up doing an internship in college at BJC and really loved it and then went on staff um, as an assistant to the general counsel. And then after a couple of years doing that, I moved back to Texas. I went to the University of Texas School of Law. Um, so apologies to, <laughs> to the Baylor. Um, wonderful law school. A lot of good rivalry, I think, between the two law schools in Texas. Um, and it was you know, I stayed in touch with BJC, but I went on to start my career as a litigator. I worked in Dallas for a small litigation boutique. I also clerked for a federal judge in Dallas, um, Judge Barbara Lynn, which was a wonderful experience, and, and then worked in another litigation firm. Uh, and then it was from there that I really answered a call that I felt to go into public service and worked for a member of Congress uh, my home member of Congress, uh, Representative Lloyd Doggett, who represents um, a lot of Central Texas. So I ran his district office in, in um, Austin and then moved to Washington to work in um, his Washington, D.C. Capitol Hill office. And it was there. And so I'll interweave my personal life a little bit here as well. When I was in Dallas, I met my husband, uh, Robert Behrendt, who is an attorney as well. And um, so when we moved to Washington, been here a few years, we had our uh, only son, uh, Phelps, and um, so, when Phelps was about a year old, I answered another call to lead Baptist Joint Committee. So, I left working um, with Representative Doggett on the Hill and just crossed over from the House side to the Senate side where um, BJC's offices are and started uh, at BJC in January 2017. And so, I have been leading BJC for just over four years now. And, uh, you know, it feels like the the perfect place for me, like really the calling um, of, of my career to put my talents um, and interests into the preservation of religious freedom for all and to help further an understanding of how the separation of religion and government helps further everyone's religious freedom. And so I just feel so fortunate um, to be doing this work and to uh, be doing it in Washington.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Could you, for those who don't know uh, much about BJC or may never have heard of it before, could you tell us some of the things that um, the organization does uh, specifically and what your role looks like right now?
1: Yeah, so BJC, we're celebrating our 85th year of having offices here in Washington. And I am the sixth executive director. Uh, The first executive director, J.M. Dawson, of course, has so many ties to Baylor, uh, as do several of our other, um, uh, several of my other predecessors in this role. Uh, But our work is all about advocating for and educating about faith freedom for all. Uh, We are faith-based. We do this from our Baptist perspective, and we are all about freedom, about understanding what religious liberty is, um, how government protects religious freedom, how we do it through an understanding of the First Amendment of the Constitution, that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And furthering an understanding that protecting both of those principles, that government stays neutral when it comes to religion, that they don't establish religion in any way, that government stays out of religion, helps protect everyone's free exercise. And advocating for those principles, educating about those principles, is a real challenge in this environment. I think that these principles are embattled in many ways, misunderstood in many ways. And so the work of BJC has remained incredibly important and relevant over these 85 years. I think the challenges have been different um, over the course of our history, uh, but they are real and present now. And it really is an opportunity for a faith-based organization to speak from our principles, from our theological beliefs, from our perspective and our calling uh, to show love of God by love of neighbor, uh, to speak out for those whose freedom is being threatened, which is often not Baptist, right, which is often religious minorities, often people who don't claim a faith tradition, um, but that is really a way to witness to our strong beliefs in the way that we protect freedom in this work.
0: Yeah. How many times a week do you think you quote the First Amendment? Because you knew that, I mean, word for word, and it it had a cadence to it.
1: <laughs> I would say it is probably the most quoted uh, work that we do because it is so central. And And I think that people kind of throw around religious freedom, but don't always look at what the textual basis is for that not just in the first amendment, but in the constitution itself, that article six that says that we'll have no religious tests for public office, that our founders said we would not make religion contingent on, or I'm sorry, that our founders said that we would not make citizenship contingent on religion, right, that everyone has an opportunity to be an equal citizen, an equal person under the law, regardless of which religion they choose or whether they choose to be religious or not, these are surely principles that we have not always lived up to. And I think the conversations that we have today, particularly around racial justice, are exposing some of our shortcomings in this area and show how much farther we have to come. But looking to Um, that text of the First Amendment as an ideal, as the place that we are striving for, and something that can also unite and unify us across many lines of difference in this country.
0: Yeah. So, Amanda, what does it mean to you then to be receiving the Abner Vernon McCall Religious Liberty Award? As someone who works in this uh, day-to-day, what's it like to receive an award um, around your success and uh, around the legacy that you've left?
1: Well, it's an incredible honor uh, to be receiving this award, and I look back at many of uh, my friends and mentors and colleagues who have received this award in years past, and it might sound trite, but I am humbled to be in their company, you know, because I am one in a long line of people who have been contributing their life's work for protecting others' religious freedom I was doing some research. I saw the very first award was given to James Dunn, uh, who was an executive director of Mm -hmm. BJC, and who did incredible work over his many years. and, And another time, and other challenges. And so, you know, but so just looking back at the people who have received the work, the award just is incredibly honoring and humbling experience. And I want to thank the Baylor Line Foundation for having this award, for recognizing the importance of religious freedom for all. There are not that many organizations that single out uh, an award for people who are working for religious freedom. And I think that's really a testament to the values of the Baylor Line Foundation of so many alumni who have worked for this principle over many years.
0: What's some encouragement or some advice that you might give uh, to future honorees of this award, to future nominees, to people wanting to pursue uh, a similar calling towards advancing uh, and preserving religious freedom?
1: Well, I would say for anyone who's interested in, in getting involved in this line of work, just how incredibly rewarding it is, you know, especially if, you know, if religion is something that is really important to you. And so, then, to help to st- be able to live into that calling and live into that passion every day, for me, I also really enjoy the law and politics. And so, it's kind of a perfect uh, combination of those many interests of mine. And so, to get to work in this is to, to get to work in this area is a dream come true. To be a leader in this, and then to be honored for that work. Is is really heartening and encouraging.
0: That's fantastic. So, Amanda, you've mentioned some uh, of the people who uh, have been your mentors, some of your predecessors. Um, but I'm wondering, other other than um, Don, are there any of those mentors, role models, inspirations who have helped you along the way that came from the Baylor family?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I would say, you know, one person is someone who's being honored this year by the Baylor Line Foundation herself, and that is Melissa Rogers. Uh, she was my first boss at BJC. She oh, was, really?
0: That's fantastic.
1: She was the general counsel in 1999, and I was hired to be her assistant. And so I look back and I think about all of the ways that she has modeled for me how to be a professional in this world. At the time, I remember she had young children. And so now that I've stepped into this leadership role with a young child myself and in understanding the balance of that, I I just um, think the world of Melissa, and I'm so pleased that she is being honored here I also, of course, think of the Ba family. Uh, I know, you know, that, um, of course, we are all mourning the loss of Babs Ba. And the last time, I, the night I met you, John, uh, yeah. we were honoring Babs uh, last year. Uh, and, of course, I have um, so loved getting to know Jackie Ba who is currently the board chair of BJC. And I'm am, am really grateful for her. I think also when I think of mentors, I think of public servants. Uh, I think someone who doesn't have a connection with the Baylor family, but Representative Doggett, for whom I worked for eight years, who I think is an exemplary public servant who does it for all the right reasons, who remains engaged with his constituents. And then in his same mold, I think, of Chet Edwards, who has received this award, and uh, again, not a Baylor, an honorary Baylor alum, I think, for all of his, his service and Absolutely. to the years. I also think of Kirk Watson, uh, with whom I got to work and know in Austin over many years. So, um, those public servants who have done so much work to to further, you know, public public good in their roles, I think, are an inspiration to me.
0: That's fantastic. So, Amanda, my my last, uh, like, real question is uh, around the challenges of your success. And at Baylor Line, our, our motto is to continue the legacy left unto us for the generation that will follow us so that they can leave it and continuing it for the generation after them. So I'm curious about what maybe some of the most challenging parts or the, challenging, the most challenging themes of your success have been. And what have you learned from those challenges that you would like to pass on to maybe current Baylor students or current young professionals so that they may be able to um, take charge uh, and ownership during challenges similar to yours as they pursue excellence and success as you have?
1: What immediately comes to mind is sometimes the enormity of the task in front of us I, I I we live in a really challenging time you know we're we're having this interview over Zoom. We're having this event over Zoom because of a global pandemic that no one could have expected or planned for. We also have an incredibly important conversation going on in the country, or that should be going on in the country, around racism. We've talked some about the challenges around religious freedom and what that means. You know, a lot of my work over the last couple of years has been focused on bringing awareness around Christian nationalism, about what that means, about how to be a Christian doesn't mean that one's necessarily an American or to be an American doesn't mean that one is necessarily a Christian and how that ideology permeates our society. And I think there are some days when you can get up and say, what's it worth, right? How can we make progress on all these things? It would be easier to switch on Netflix right now. You know, is is this something that, and I would just encourage, just do your part, you know, figure out where, your deep gifts are meeting the deep gifts of the world uh, to paraphrase Frederick Buechner in his work on vocation um, that has been kind of a guiding point for me over my career kind of a gut check am I doing the right thing. Is this really meeting a deep need of the world? And then do your part. And working together, if if we had, you know, so many people across the country who were doing that kind of work, we really could make progress on a number of different challenges. And so that has really animated the choices, the professional choices that I've made in my life. Uh, You know, as I went over my biography, I've done a number of different things. When I was graduating from college or from law school, I couldn't predict where this path is going. And here I'm sitting uh, still, you know, really mid-career. I don't know where the rest of the path goes from here. But uh, I know that if I continue to ask myself and answer that question and figure out what piece I can do to help move things forward, that I'm in the right place, and hopefully, uh, adding to the world because that is what we're trying to do with our professional lives.
0: Am I speaking with future Senator Amanda Tyler? Is that what you're? Is that what you're <laughs> announcing right now? Is, is your run for office?
1: I won't predict. I won't predict the future about where things go. <laughs> but um, I will say I have incredible respect for those who are willing uh, to put themselves up. Uh, to run for public office and, and grateful for public servants um, at every level of government who are willing to do so.
0: I, I, I know uh, it was a joke, but I really appreciate that first part of your answer. The, I won't predict the future of my career. Um, I I think in studying not only your career but several of the other honorees, um, the thing that comes across to me is oftentimes the things we set out to do are not what we end up um, being most proud of. It's the opportunities that those um, uh, uh, that those pursuits uh, allow us to move into roles that we never thought we would have. Um, I mean, it's it's similar for my very. Young career is—I never thought I'd be editor of Baylor Line. So it's it's very very um, helpful to hear someone uh, already so successful say, "I won't predict the the future of my career and be okay with that." So so thank you for that answer. It's, it's oh, very. Amanda, are you are you okay doing some rapid fire questions? Some things to just kind of like round out our time together. Okay, cool. They're they're not they're not tricky, they're not scary, um, but there is one rule uh, around rapid fire questions, and it's that you can't think; you just have okay. to answer. You just got to give me your first answer, and we'll 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 dissect it if it needs some dissecting. So, um, right. ready? Sure. Cool. Awesome. So first question is, um, when the stress, when the anxiety, when, you know, deadlines loom, um, you may feel physical reactions, you may um, have uh, unintended uh, reactions to that. Um, But when you feel that stress, what is the first thing that you do to refocus yourself, kind of ground your feet and center your body so that you can be fully committed to the next right thing?
1: I just did it. I, I breathe. Mm. I, I really do just kind of take a breath and, and center myself.
0: Yeah, I love it. So um, what's something that people might oftentimes get wrong about you? I know we're not often meeting people in this season of the world, uh, but when we still were meeting people uh, routinely for the first time, what do you think something that people often got wrong about you was? I think
1: people wouldn't guess that I'm a big sports fan.
0: Oh, really? What sports do you follow? And, you know, be careful, because, you know, Texans.
1: (laughs) It's true. It's true. Uh, So Major League Baseball is my current favorite sport, and the Washington Nationals uh, 2019 World Series champions are my favorite team. I got to go to one of those uh, World Series games. Um, But growing up in Texas, um, of course, in Austin, uh, you can imagine which sports team I cheered for, for college basketball, college football, um, are my probably my other two favorite. And then I went to Georgetown University, which has a storied college basketball past, but Baylor is a storied college basketball present. So, um, So many, many kudos to the Bears on there. On their sports prowess uh, in this in this decade.
0: I always say that um, I'm a sports person in that I'll watch any baseball game that you can put me in front of, but I'll really only watch Baylor play football or basketball. I don't really have an interest in any of the, the other things. So I have a little trinket. A friend went to D.C. a couple of years ago and he brought back a Washington Nationals trinket because one day he walked in and I was just watching a, a Nationals game and he said, I didn't know you liked the Nationals. I said, I don't. I just love baseball. So,
1: <laughs> so something we have in common yeah exactly
0: so okay so speaking of watching uh tv what are some shows that you guys are into right now are you binging anything on netflix or hbo max or, or, or watching uh, a show routinely as it's coming out right now
1: so my last binge was over the um break over the mm-hmm. holiday break and a friend of mine introduced me to the great british baking show and i was um skeptical I think is the right word because I'm like I'm really not into cooking shows and it is not a cooking show it is a feel good everything is okay in the world complete escape from reality show so that I and then since I got back we were uh, on a little break away from our apartment since I've gotten back I have not gone back to watch the show so I I will say I I don't I haven't binged yet in 2021. Um, if anything, I, I watch news, (laughs) you know, so bless you. (laughs) I know, I know. I need to get back to the baking show, I think.
0: Yeah. So, so speaking of other media habits, uh, when you go to bed tonight, is there anything on your nightstand, uh, that you're picking up, you know, right before bed?
1: So right now, um, I, I did decide this year I wanted to make reading fiction a habit. And so I went right to I have been wanting to read four years, uh, the great novel Middlemarch by George Eliot. And so I am reading a couple of chapters of Middlemarch every night right now. So I can confidently say that (laughs) I have a fiction habit this year. Uh, So, again, that was a habit I picked up over over the holiday break. So I'm hoping that this will continue uh, through through the year.
0: That's fantastic! I love it. I'm as well trying to start a a, a bedtime reading habit. Um, I've had just some biographies and some light history books that I've been wanting to read for several years. So I too am trying to keep committing to that. So we'll hold each other accountable.
1: Right.
0: You you mentioned being on a little bit of a break. Um, if uh, if COVID wasn't here, uh, and you know time, money, energy, uh, you know travel, if if none of that was a restriction. Where would you guys want to be right now if you could be anywhere in the whole world?
1: So, what immediately came to mind was Italy. Uh, because oh, I Amanda,
0: abroad. you're speaking my love language.
1: <laughs> I, so both my husband and I studied abroad in Italy at different times. And that's actually how we met mm-hmm. um, with an Italian film class. But that's a whole, whole nother story. But we have never been to Italy together. And I think that this inability to travel um, safely. Has really made me think. The next place I want to go is I want to go to some place I know I love um, that has the best food, the best views, and the best way of life. You know, just a really um, laid-back way of living. That that would be where I would go.
0: I'm, I'm going to go off script a little bit and ask, like, what is the what is the place in Italy that you loved most? Did you get to experience from like, you know, top to tail? And if you did, like, you know, is is that that like, you know, central area that lower? Area, like, where where is that favorite part for you?
1: So I did not go all over Italy, but we I was studying outside of Florence in Piesoleil. So Tuscany. Um, and I love that area of course for for views and everything um my husband studied in Rome and Rome is an incredible city I loved the Amalfi coast um in that area I thought was just the most beautiful place I'd ever been uh but two places in Italy that I might like to explore if we went back in Sicily I never went to Sicily or to go to Puglia which is like the boot of Italy um I would love to go there
0: we um I was in, uh, I was on Sicily. Gosh, 2020 really messed up my timeline. How long ago was that? Maybe two or three years ago. And I, you're just, you're just absolutely going to love it. And, and then I rode, um, a train from, uh, we were on the, the like kind of bottom side of it in, uh, Siracusa, and I rode a train all the way up Sicily and crossed over it. They actually put the train on a boat and took it across that uh, little strip of water in between um, Sicily and mainland Italy and then rode a train all the way up to Florence. And it was absolutely magical. It was so interesting. So you'll love Sicily. Yes, you'll love it. Okay. So uh, Amanda, what is some advice that somebody gave you or that you gleaned from watching someone that you have never forgotten and hope you'll never forget?
1: Hmm. This is when you're going to stump me. I have to think. You told me I didn't have to think, but I... <laughs> <laughs> what advice? Did
0: your parents teach you anything growing up that oh, you hope you course. remember? Of
1: course, but i, I don't know. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to cut some of this, John.
0: Okay. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> can, so. we, can I skip? Can we just say next question?
0: Yeah, of course. Of course. Cool. So. um, Okay. So uh, speaking of Italy, um, and this may already have given away the answer, but what's your favorite meal that you could have like right now and you could keep eating over and over?
1: Oh, well, I mean, yeah, maybe it's just I have Italy in um, the brain, but yeah, a pasta meal um, for sure. And in fact, maybe this is why it's all coming together. My um, my birthday is coming up and there's a restaurant here in Washington that's doing a Tuscan pop-up menu. So I, that's what I told my husband because we haven't eaten at a restaurant, you know, in a year. And so almost a year. So I said, I want to get takeout from this place. So there's, there's the meal, a Tuscan dinner.
0: That's fantastic. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, okay, Amanda, last question. Um, what are you most grateful for right now?
1: I'm grateful for my health, you know, and the health of my family. I I think that this pandemic has shown us that we cannot take that for granted. And we know that, of course, the millions of people who have been um, have gotten ill from coronavirus, but we also know all the other illnesses um, that people suffer and all the other struggles. And so um to not take that for granted, I think has been uh, a real um lesson and in a in a point of gratitude that I have.
0: I agree. So Amanda, thank you so much for spending this time uh with me and for sharing your story and answering hopefully what were some fun questions. Um Very I so look forward to celebrating you and celebrating with you uh over the three days of Hall of Fame festival. Thank you so much. I'm Jonathan Platt, and you've been listening to Direct Line Conversations, the podcast brought to you by Baylor Line Foundation. You can follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And if you haven't, hop on over to wherever you're listening to this and follow, leave a rating, and a review. It really does help. Join me next week for another Direct Line Conversation. Thanks for listening.